Pray with me. God, we've come to be fed. Uh, We come famished. We come malnourished. We come anemic spiritually. And we have stuff all around us uh, that we try to shovel into our souls to satisfy us, and we know that they can't. And so I pray that you make that more clear to us, um, that we are more aware and that you would feed us with true food and with true drink, that you would bless this uh, theological meal that we are about to partake of, that it would land in the soul where we are truly hungry and we often, likely even this morning, have very little realization of just how famished we are. In Jesus' name, amen. The most important question that can ever be asked to anyone uh, inside these walls, outside of these walls, ever, uh, is this question. It could be put this way. Do you believe Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God? Do you believe Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God? And I mean most important question that could ever be asked to you, to anyone uh, in the immediate sense, in a minute by minute, every day of your life, in the quietness and recesses of your own heart. But then also, of course, I mean it in the sense of once for all, that time when you were uh, convicted in your sin and you chose to follow Christ. You turned your back on your sin and you turned to follow Jesus. Um, or it's possible, certainly in a room this size, uh, that, that you're still staring that question down. So this is the most important question that could ever be asked to anyone. Uh, And it is the driving question of John chapter 6. So if you would, turn to John chapter 6, and we're going to deal with the entirety of the chapter, 71 verses. We're going to read a good portion of it. Um, There'll be a section that we skip, kind of break in the middle. It will be addressed throughout the sermon. But when I'm reading, because of the nature of how many verses we're looking at, I really do want you to stay in the curves with me. It's, it's imperative for you to understand. Um, I'll, I'll give you the signal when we kind of skip from one verse to another, but they'll all be addressed in the sermon. So John chapter 6. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. 
So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose and the sea began to churn. After they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board and at once the boat was on the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they ask? Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. Let's pause for a second. What ensues from here, verse 30 down, is this sort of long-tailed exchange where Jesus challenges this crowd to go further up and further in on this metaphor of that he is the bread of life. And in a sense, they grasp some of his metaphor. They also, by their sin, they begin to stumble and trip over his metaphor. Join me again at verse 53, and we'll continue the chapter. So Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me forever and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate, and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you who don't believe. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one and the one who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, didn't I choose you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the 12, because he was going to betray him. The transcendent meaning of John 6 is this. It could be summed up in, in this couple of words here. Jesus is to your spiritual life what food is to your physical life. Jesus is to your spiritual life what food is to your physical life. You could also say eternal life, what food is to your physical life. You could put it negatively, a different way. You must not become enamored with the gifts of God to the loss of God himself. You must not become enamored with the gifts of God to the loss of God himself. He is the gift. He's the point. You're to look through these gifts, in their case, food. You look through gifts to see the gift giver. God is the gift. So what's going on in this episode? There's a whole lot of, maybe you noticed it. Um, This story is filled with what I like to call connective tissue to the Old Testament. This, This story is absolutely rattling um, with energy from the Old Testament. It's echoing, it's alluding to, it's being fulfilled all over the place. Maybe you notice some of them. There's this allusion to feeding the five disciples with the leftover baskets. And this is corresponding, right, to the, to the 12 tribes, the, the new beginning of this, of what was a failure in the wilderness wanderings. Yahweh fed his people. Now Jesus feeds his people. Question mark, is he God, right? That's what's happening here. Um, or that Jesus is up on a high mountain in verse three. He's like Moses. He's, he's everything that, that Moses couldn't quite be in and of himself, in and of himself. It is sin, right? Um, you maybe noticed uh, there's a Jonah thing going on. He walks out to him on the storm. He calms the storm, right? Uh, Exodus 3, the I am statement is happening here. So this passage is just filled with importance being fulfilled from the Old Testament. He's showing himself to be God. Here's where we're going. Here's where we're headed. John 6 can be broken down a lot of different ways. We're going to look at it in kind of six different scenes. So we'll look at it with six different scenes. We'll draw the sense from each scene, and then we'll come back at the end for a few ponderables to stick with the food uh, theme. We'll call them chewables. Okay. All right. Uh, Scene one, Jesus, the eternal wonder bread baker. Scene one, the eternal wonder bread baker. This is verses one through 15. Look down with me at verses one through four, this clump here. There is a huge crowd that has gathered around Jesus. Why? Because he's a performer of miracles. They are not there because he's a good guy. Certainly not because he's God, it seems. This is kind of um, the state fair has come to town. So we go out and, you know, go enjoy it. That's what seems to be happening. That's how John is painting this crowd. He's painting them as 
totally missing connecting the dots between themselves and the feral wilderness children. They connect some dots, but they're missing other things. They're kind of connecting Jesus to Moses, those sorts of things, but they miss looking and x-raying their, their own hearts. Uh, verse 4, it's, it's Passover even. They're, they're miss, missing that. He's teaching them blood, flesh, eat my flesh, and they miss that. And John wants to show us that, that they're missing it. They're not connecting the dots. Look at verses 5 through 9. Jesus asks Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? So right back to the wilderness children. And apparently, I, I'm convinced that Andrew knows what's afoot. He, he's an opportunist, and he pipes up, little Johnny over here has some fish and some bread. What are you going to do, Jesus? Like, or, you know, what? He, and he's, he's slapping the, the disciples. He's about to do the God thing. He's about to do, you know. He's going to do his God thing. So that, that's what's happening. There's, there's something like 5,000 to 25,000 people, verses 10 through 11. And I think we get hung up. I, I don't want you to do this. Don't get hung up on how many people are there. It, it doesn't matter. When was the last time you fed three people with, with food that didn't exist? It, it does not matter. So the point is, it's 25,000, 35,000. Who cares? I mean, it, it doesn't matter. He, he begins to start ninjaing out bread that had never sat in an oven. It's baked, but had never been baked. It's fish that were created to be eaten. They have fins that were never used for what they were you know, created for. They're just being eaten. I mean, what did that look like? He's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Just, I mean, 5,000 plus people. These are molecules and atoms and matter that did not formerly exist. He is creating ex nihilo on the spot. Verse 12 through 15, they connect Jesus back. So they do see some things. They connect Jesus back to this promised prophet, probably thinking about Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19. So they're going to make him king. Jesus foresees that. Why? He's useful. He's got utility. This is the first century. Bring us bread always. We'll, we'll make you king if you'll keep doing this. This is great, right? This is the end of the first scene. And what do we see? Jesus is marvelously benevolent, but he will not be used. He's not going to be used by you. He's not going to be used by me, by this crowd. He's not a puppet king. He's divine. He's far too precious for that. He's far too wild for this idolatrous crowd. They can't control him. And this Galilean crowd, I mean, it is hard to make bread every day. So let's make this guy king. Let's do whatever. Let's push him up. If you'll just keep bringing this bread, you be the bread bringer. We'll, we'll give you the throne of bread bringing. And just like Luke 4 or Matthew 4, he rejects their offer. Satan offers the, the kingdoms, that, that throne, and he rejects it. It's too small a throne. Scene two, Jesus the wave walker. Jesus the wave walker. Verses 16 to 21, the disciples waited for him until evening. Then they get in a boat and sail north to Capernaum. 
Jesus is still on the mountain when they leave. Uh, It's night. And then all of a sudden, he comes walking atop the water molecules. No big deal. Just a day in the life of Jesus, right? Verse 20 and 21, but he said to them, it is I, or I am. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. This is um, Exodus 3, right? The one with life himself is here. Just to prove it, just calm this storm that you're fighting against, rowing against. The one who passes out unbaked bread that's baked is here. That's his, his point. And then he does this, he gets on the boat, and all of a sudden they're at the other side. This is like real-time Star Trek thing. He warps time and space, into, and he uses some sort of divine flux capacitor. And they're just over on the other side. John's like, I don't know what happened. We were just, we were just there. He, it, was, it was weird. Scene two is over. This miracle is meant to make us pause, meant to make you pause. John, by the Holy Spirit, is inspired, and and we're supposed to go back to another sea. So the point is not like how far it was. Again, that, you know, he just moves them to the other side. The point is, this is Yahweh. There was another time, another place, another sea where God, Yahweh, just cut through the waters. It's called the Red Sea. And, and we're being asked, is, is, that, is Jesus of Nazareth the Son of God? Is he God? Is he of the same essence as God? Is he a, of the same substance as the Father? Do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth is God? The question keeps pressing us throughout the text. Scene three, don't work for the bread that perishes. Don't work for the bread that perishes. Verses 22 to 40. This is the start of day two. In verse 24, the large crowd has now sailed over, gotten over to Capernaum. Look at verse 25. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? They're just pandering him, right? Jesus answered, amen, amen, or, or truly. Truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. This is the most stunning word in all 71 verses to me, filled. It should sting. What are you satisfied with? This crowd, is their satisfaction is so low that they miss God. Don't work, 27, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. They wanted to make Jesus a dancing deity. They wanted a puppet God to feed their bellies because their belly is their God. But they're not on board for a God who demanded salvation by grace alone. They, they, they don't like that idea. Verse 28 Notice the contrast between work and belief and this interchange of the crowd and Jesus. What can we do to perform the works of God? In other words, Jesus, just tell us the formula. We'll punch it into our calculator if you'll start slinging bread again. Jesus says, this is the work of God that you don't work. 
You can't. It can't. It doesn't work that way. What's the work of God? That you believe in the one he has sent. That's the work. End of scene three, this Galilean crowd is cast again by John as, as characters exactly like the feral wilderness children of Israel. They're fine with a bread-bringing prophet like Moses, but they're not in for the God of Moses. They wouldn't, he wouldn't step inside their little theological box. He kept punching his fist out. He doesn't fit. Scene four, the grumbling sound of idolatrous stomachs. The grumbling sound of idolatrous stomachs. Verse 41 to 46. Look, look with me at 41 and 42. This crowd by now, this is, it's actually uh, pretty tragic at this point. 41 and 42, this crowd is stumbling, stumbling, face planting at this point. And it's over the deity of Christ. What do they say? Isn't this the son of Joseph? I know you, boy. I know where you come from. I changed your diapers in the nursery. I graduated high school with your mom. This is, you're not God. I mean, what did he just do? What does Jesus say the problem is? Verse 44, my father hasn't drawn you. Verse 45 says, it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. This is Isaiah. Everyone who has listened, everyone who has listened, everyone who has learned, everyone who's humbled themselves before the father. What he's saying. Jesus's point is, I'm from up there where, where the manna came from. Moses didn't give you this manna. My father gave you this manna. And you reject me and you reject your father. Why don't they believe they're, they're stuck back on the bread? The idolatrous sound of their, of their stomach is rising up. Scene five, eat this bread and live forever. Eat this bread and live forever. This is verses 47 to, 50, to 59. Jesus could have scarcely said, you don't have to read a whole lot of, of the Pentateuch, the Torah, to know this, but, but Jesus could have scarcely said anything more offensive to a group of first century Jews than to eat my flesh and drink my blood, right? So what is he doing with this vampire cannibal metaphor? Let's read it again. Look at verse 53. Truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven and is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. What, what's on the line? Life and death, right? They died on that bread. You eat this bread, you won't die. What does he finish verse 58 with? The one who eats this bread will live forever. So, vampire, cannibal, question mark? No. I mean, I think he means what he means back in 29. Believe on Jesus Christ for eternal food. 
you'll live forever. It's about belief. He's the master interpreter, the master fulfiller of the sacrificial system. He knows what's afoot. And so eternal salvation is on the line. And what he's saying is, if you choose to eat this meal instead of the meal of the world, you'll live forever. You'll have a resurrected eternal life that can never be snuffed out. It can never fail you. It can never fade. Why eat the meal of the world? Why are you stuck on the bread? Why are you stuck on the gifts of God instead of God? I mean, when has it ever worked for you? The word filled, right? When was the last time you got something that you wanted and it was enough? I'll answer for you. Never. And so he's pushing you to go, are you going to take the meal of the world or are you going to take Christ? What's inside this tiny little circle of yours that that equals like enough for you, salvation? Because it better just be Jesus. Because everything else, Paul will show you. Everything else can be taken away. And so you better keep that circle very small. End of scene five. So what do you get if you eat this bread? Answer, a different kind of filling. An unending cure for spiritual malnourishment. Man doesn't live on bread alone. He lives on Christ alone. Even if he tries to do something else, it's still true. It's only Christ. Um, All else, all else, even good, seemingly godly things, if you make those the thing, they'll be a malnourished thing for you. You're just shoveling it into the void of your soul, and it's just a black hole. It's never going to. Scene six, grab a fork. Scene six, grab a fork. This is verses 60 to 71. The bread paradoxically smothered the false faith of these defectors, these mercenary disciples. They're false disciples, but it bolsters the true disciples. It presses them, Peter being the picture, to to ask themselves, what are you here for? So you could say that for the disciples, Jesus became a mighty fortress, but for these false disciples, he's a mighty big letdown. They just kind of walk away from him. There's no utility here anymore. Take a moment, look at verse 66, and think with me. Everybody walks away. They turn their back on Jesus instead of on their sin. And they walk away and think about the little boy for just a second. He comes with some fish. He comes with some bread. He doesn't see Jesus ninjaing out that stuff anymore, and he walks away. Everybody just walks away. Jesus looks at the 12 in verse 67. You don't want to go away too, do you? Am I not useful for you if I don't dance for you? Verse 68, Simon Peter, impetuous Peter, Ninth inning, bases loaded, crushes it out of the park. He's always first to fight, right? This is Peter the rock, and he gives us rock bottom religion. Where else would we go? I've tried it all. I've seen the world, 
And if you're, if you're ninjaing out bread, if you're not, you're the guy. You're the only one who has the words of eternal life. In our context, right, it would have been the equivalent of, I've, I've tried money, I've tried sex, I've tried power, I've tried everything. I've tried celebrity, I've tried false gods, I've tried, quote, spirituality. You're it. So if I rise, if I fall, I'm with you. If we win, if we lose, I'm with you. This is Peter. He gets a bad rap, but he, he crushes it out of the park here. We start this story with approximately 25,000 people following around Jesus. And by verse 71, you notice we got rid of Judas by 71. By 71, there's 11 people left. There's no mercenary disciples left at this point. And what we're being told by Peter is that we're supposed to, in John's rendering, is respond like Peter, no matter what happens. No matter what happens, no matter who you watch walk away, respond like Peter. Peter's response confirms his true discipleship. It's not that he's perfect, obviously, but his true discipleship shines forth because it's in the fight. He keeps clawing at it. He keeps going, look, I, I get it. We're boiled down to nothing. And these guys are gone, and I don't know where we're going, and you stopped giving out bread. I don't know where my next meal's coming from, but I'm in. So even when the math doesn't work out, my encouragement to you is just, say, just respond like Peter. You're the one who has the words of eternal life. You get fired, you get canceled, you watch your, waf- your wife walk away. Is Jesus really it? Is he enough for you? Well, I promised uh, three theological chewables. So here they are. First one is gifts are windows one looks through to behold the gift giver. Gifts are windows one looks through to behold the gift giver. What stunned me about this passage and what stunned me about my own psychology is that the crowd stopped at the bread and failed to look through it to the bread giver. These gifts, in this case, bread, food, whatever gifts you have in your life are meant to be echoes of the eternal. They're They're not the thing. They're a window to look through, to see God. It's the normal stuff, methinks. It's the normal stuff of life that we get hung up on, like food, food provisions. And we stop at those things One, we often don't thank the Lord, but we just stop at them and we fail to see a kind and benevolent God behind them. And when he doesn't, he stops ninjing out the gifts to us, we we start, I'm going to turn my back on you because it gets hard. So I think what we're supposed to do is flip that around. We're supposed to look at friendships, physical health, maybe food, relationships, Marital intimacy, a new job, a new car, a good grade, a good conversation, success, whatever that is, mentors, money. We're supposed to look through them to God. That's the point. Don't get hung up on it. These things are supposed to compel us to look through them to God. They're windows 
to be awakened to new heights, new vistas, new, new visions of who God is and the joy of Christ. He's the gift. The gift isn't the thing. God is the gift. Verse 35 says, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. So you can die and have Jesus and not be hungry. That's the logic. Having Jesus eating this food somehow transcends the body and lands in the stomach of the soul, like the range of the stomach of the soul. And it satisfies the stomach of that really matters. This isn't, you know, thinking about this theme. This isn't like chicken soup for the soul. This is like the real thing. This is real, real soul food, eternal soul food. Number two, salvation is a miracle of God. I wonder if you, salvation is a miracle of God. I wonder if you stumbled over verse 44. Um, here's what I, what I think verse 44 is doing here. It, it means that saving you and saving me, saving these disciples is a God-sized task. It's not about elitism. The most amazing miracle in John 6 isn't that the bread got thrown out to these people or the Star Trek move. The greatest miracle is that by the end, there's still 11 people who follow Jesus, who in and of their own will would rebel on Christ every time in their sin. They're born dead in their sin, and me and you are too. But by the end, they're saved and sustained by God's grace. They're still, they're still following. So know that this verse, I think, is presented here to remove all means of boasting. There's, no, there's nothing of you in your salvation. And this crowd seems to want to climb their way to heaven. They say that. They want to climb their way to heaven by works, and for a fallen image bearer, you can't get there from here. Uh, John Flavel said, you'd just as soon climb to heaven on a rope of sand. That's what this verse 44 is doing. So you may think and may stumble over this to some degree. What, so is, it, is this about election? What, what if I'm not in the elect? What I would just push to you is suppose you are. Today is the day of salvation. The gospel is always turn. Of course, in the once and forever sense, but, but very much so right now. Just turn to Christ. It's, it's about being like Peter. No matter what happens in front of you, what you see, but it's just following Christ. Respond like Peter. That's, that's the pressure of this text. Third one, Christians are secure in Christ. Christians are secure in Christ. And I'm taking this from 37 and 39. Jesus seems to be uh, quite concerned for these 11 disciples that they not become disheartened, that their faith not um, tremble in the middle of this, this mass defection that is taking place in front of them. So for you and for me, for the Spurgeon College student, faculty member, Midwestern student, person listening on the, you know, live stream. The, the pressure of this, what it boils down to and is loud and clear for the Christian is that you can never be lost. If there was none of you inside of your salvation, you weren't looking for God when he found you, 
then if you didn't find you, you can't lose you. And so the, the point is, be like Peter. Respond like Peter. In your ministry, in your ministry and in your, in your walk with Christ, you are likely to see hundreds of people, if not thousands, walk away from Jesus. They'll show a taste maybe at, at the front, or maybe they show none at all, but you're going to see tons of people just like this passage who, who are going to turn their back on Jesus and walk away. We call them deconstruction, de-church, ex-evangelical. What, what, I mean, they're defectors. If they turn their back on Christ, they are rejecting Christ. And the point for you and me is to follow Christ. Keep eating Jesus. So when your doubts and your sin and Satan and death lay hold of you, they throw their worst at you, respond like Peter. You have the words of eternal life. Where else am I going to go? I've seen all the other shows in town and all the other carnivals, and they don't work. They don't. And so you respond like Peter, and you say something to those, uh, those sins. You say to Satan, you say to your doubts. So I'm, I'm with a God who piled up the waters and let me walk through securely. He's the one who has the words of eternal life. Pray with me. Lord, you're good, and we know that you only do good. And so we ask that you give us the ability to follow you. I pray that a, um, a passage like this can cause sometimes concern, fear. But I ask that you would bolster us, that we would be like Peter, that in the midst of watching people walk away because the road is too tough, that you would use that like you did with the disciples, that you'd use it to, to set our faces like flint towards you. Help these students. Lord, I, I pray that these students all, all listening, that we would have an unusual, an unusual ability to come into the light. That we would confess our sin even when the road gets really rough that we would go beyond just confessing our sin, but that we would evangelize, that we would share the gospel with unbelievers, that we know that there is no other show in town that's going to work. Make us like Peter in this moment. When he responds and says, we know that you're the only one, you're the one that has the words of life. Where else would we go? Jesus, give us the ability to turn our back on the meal of the world and to instead uh, pursue you, to have true food and true drink. In Jesus' name, amen.